Good morning on this beautiful, rainy, stormy day here on July 17th, 2023. I love days like this, waking up. It's these kind of mornings that does not make you want to get out of bed. It was comfy. It was peaceful um, for me. As long as there's no damage to being done anywhere, I love a good storm. And so it was peaceful this morning, just kind of laying there. And I hope that wherever you're at, you're being careful, you're being watchful. I don't think this is storms is going to last all day, but I do think there's a chance of rain off and on all day long, if I'm not mistaken. So if you're going to be out and about, maybe you need to bring an umbrella unless you're like me and don't care what your hair look like. Um, and so, but if you do care what your hair looks like, then you may want an umbrella. But today's going to have some periods of sun, a couple of heavy thunderstorms throughout this afternoon. And storms can bring flash flooding and damaging wind. So be watchful. We got several days of storms coming up. So um then we're gonna heat back up a little bit it felt good the other day down in the 70s i do believe and it was it was feeling nice and now we're right back up there miss hannah how are you doing this morning i'm doing good I, that thunder woke me up real early yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah hannah beat me here this morning i mean it was like i really thought the lightning might have struck really close to yeah. um because yeah, I don't know if I've ever felt thunder shake a building so much or be so loud. Yeah, May, it could have hit the tower, could have hit the anywhere out there because it rumbled my house up there. Yeah, And usually I don't even hear a storm and it woke all of us up. So, um, but little Ivy woke up in a happy mood. She just Aww. smiling and giggling <laughs> and cackling and she always wakes up with a smile. Like, Aww. I don't know, she always wakes up smiling. And so she's I've such a beautiful that baby. I've with a lot of babies. It's like they're all like I wish all adults could be as happy as babies <laughs> when they wake up. Oh, I'm so happy to be awake. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy, I love you. I missed you while I slept. You know, sweet. Um, they do. They do wake up with a smile a lot. We, I don't know if I wake up with a smile. I wake up with, oh, I didn't even know that muscle existed. Um, I didn't know you could back hurt get there. You know, it's like that's how I wake up in the morning. So. We had a great morning yesterday here at Bethel Fellowship, and we're prayerful that um, everywhere that you all assembled together yesterday, you had the same testimony that God moved in a big way. And um, <clears throat> besides the preacher being long-winded, I had one person said, I just wanted to make sure he still had a clock up there. Um, <laughs> I said, watch it. All right. Um, I warned everybody I wasn't going to be my normal 40 minutes yesterday, but I only went an hour and five. So that's not too bad. Um I've heard preachers preach a lot longer than that, and um, but I just I really enjoyed yesterday morning. Worship was great. The presence of the Lord was was in the place, and um, just excited for what God's doing. Excited that God's preparing a body for a move of God, and it's not just a body; it's the body. It's the body yeah. of Christ, and He is preparing His bride. He's getting um, for so long. I've been in the church world for about eighteen years now. And the one thing that I have seen happen over and over and over in every church, everybody that I've been a part of, is division. And Paul warns against it in Corinthians. Paul warns against it over and over and relentlessly destroys it because we must learn to keep the bond of peace. Um, and it's all—it's not always easy. Um, and um, really, the bond of peace is something that it doesn't mean everybody gets along. Like we're all gonna have conflicts, we're all gonna have issues. You're gonna you're gonna have somebody you disagree with, and somebody's gonna disagree with you. And it's not that every everybody gets along, and there's never hard conversations, and there's never there's never anything to that regard. 
but it's that we can learn to walk together even in disagreements. Um, there's yeah. some disagreements that will split you if it's over truth and over doctrine and over the essentials of the gospel. And um, there's certain things, but if it's a secondary issue or if it's a unforgiveness issue or something in that regard, we have to learn, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that we are no longer children, but we are called to walk not swayed by every wind of doctrine, the slight of men, the craftiness of men, or anything to that regard, but we're called to walk together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. And so um, uh, <clears throat> I enjoy teaching through. I Anytime I get to teach in Ephesians, I always enjoy it. And I'm really I had three sermons going on in my head yesterday, and I could not determine which one to do. And um, I hope I went with the right one. But you definitely went with the right one. I'm speaking from someone in the congregation. <laughs> yeah, it was very spot on to a lot of things that, um, you know, the more that you get to know people, and the more, especially like just seeing things too like the more people you know the more people you pray for and just personal things like you see so much how messages relate practically mm -hmm. to everybody as you get to know the house better and i think that's part of like getting to know your sheep too yeah like not well it's the lord's sheep but you know like getting to know the congregation because um it, and sometimes you don't even realize that a message really applies to stuff that's going on. But if you've been in intercession and in prayer a lot, I'm sure you know a lot of things that we don't even realize you know. <laughs> um, we was at we went to Mr. Getty's with Jeremiah and Sarah and Josh and his kiddos, and um, so we was there. And I forgot what I I forgot how it got brought up, but um, oh yeah, I said my goal during VBS is I'm gonna buy a water gun and just squirt random people throughout the whole thing. <laughs> um, and they said, and one of the I think Eliza said I want to do that. I said nope, that's one that's the one privilege of being the pastor is that you get to buy a water gun. And Jocelyn, Josh's daughter, said, hey, uh, you said this morning we're all pastors. So we, I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. I said, at least you're listening. Yeah, good thing they're listening. <laughs> she got me good, uh, but it was it was I was um, I do believe that though, and I, I know we'll get into our announcement. I I do believe in in Ephesians four eleven when he goes to the fivefold gifting. I do not think you can pastor without teaching, and I don't think you can teach without pastoring. Like I am persuaded of at this point. Do I think there's differences in their function and what the gifts are? Yes, but I don't think you can do one without the other. I think they have to go together. Um, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Especially looking at like I was when I was note taking, I was kind of listing like all the different types of pastors like when you're talking about moms and dads and brothers and sisters and it yeah. all and it makes sense because each one that's leading really another or checking in on another should be teaching the younger one yep. or teaching the one. Yeah. And um and we should be teaching to edify. Yeah. Um I feel like in my life there has been times, and I think we could probably testify to this a little bit, is that I feel like in my life there's been times I was teaching just to get my point across. Like that was the only intent of my teaching is I just wanted you to hear my point. Now, as I hopefully am growing up a little bit, and I'm still, there's still childish things, like I get it, but as I'm growing up and prayerfully that I can grow up more, is I'm learning that I want to teach not for you to get my point, but I want to teach so that you can live the principle. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between teaching to be heard and teaching to edify. 
And that's what I believe my prayer is for pastors and leaders in any of us today is that we're not teaching to win an argument. We're teaching to build people and that the principle will be activated more than the impress the impressiveness of our articulation or our orotating skills. Um, it's more with the intent of I want to here's the principle I'm trying to teach you. And I'm teaching you this principle because I believe this principle can change our lives if we learn to walk in it. Mm-hmm. Instead of I win, you're wrong. I'm right. Hear me. Yeah. I, how would you look at like? Well, it's I don't know. Were we gonna get into? I don't know what we're morning? doing. We got. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a recap. Of, <laughs> it's of a recap Sunday. of the weekend. <laughs> um, how would you do like the distinguishing between teaching and preaching? Well, for me, preaching would be um, preaching the gospel, I think, um, and preaching preaching for souls, preaching to see people saved. Um, I think that what we do a lot, even I think for I think under underlining um, understanding of teaching and preaching has been that preaching is more exuberant and loud, and you know, ah, and teaching's more the monotoned. Turn your Bibles to Second Thessalonians <laughs> chapter two verse thirteen, and we will do the Greek exegesis of the text this morning. So you like, and Jason, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I think that you can teach very exuberant, and so I would for me when I see the word preaching, I classify preaching with evangelism that I'm preaching the gospel that I am preaching to lost souls that I am proclaiming the word of the Lord I am proclaiming the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, and when I'm teaching. I would be unpacking, regardless of how exuberant or monotone it is, I'm unpacking what the Scripture is saying. Now, do I think you could preach in the aspect of proclaiming the good news, the the gospel, proclaiming the Word of the Lord? Yeah, but then I think you could start, this is where my brain works. I think once you start moving from preaching the gospel to proclaiming the Word of the Lord, then you're moving from a preaching to a prophetic. And That's, so, Would you think that... So I've always thought that the prophetic would be in preaching because teaching, you know, I just teaching. You have to have material. I mean, you're going off of material anyways, if God's speaking to you. But teaching, I see, you know, using the word, breaking it down, unpacking the word and 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 um, speaking the principles to people. But the prophetic sometimes, you know, will you'll step away from the word after you've you know taught the principles and then step into like what the Lord is speaking specifically like for people in that group sure. or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that could be an aspect of it. For me, whenever I move from the teaching to how it applies, I would I would just I would call it application. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in hermeneutics or homiletics, whichever one you want to do there, which is basically taking the text and expounding on the text, defending the text, getting to the text, the and geek, Greek geeking out, nerding out for a minute. We call geek it geek in Hebrew. <laughs> yep, it's um, Greek, but geeking, geeking out for a minute. That would that's what we would be really yeah. get into exegesis. And if you never heard the word exegesis, all it is is a big word. It's saying. I'm pulling something out of the text. So by the Holy Spirit showing me what's there, and I'm going to try to pull it out so that I can expound the text to you. I would say what we do in the church for the most part is just preaching, kind of proclaiming the good news, proclaiming about Jesus. Now, that's not always just sharing the gospel presentation. That could be proclaiming, testified, um, all of these things. But really, I believe what we should be doing on Sunday mornings and what we should be doing as Sunday school teachers and, um, you know, 
what we would classify as preachers in the house is teaching, really. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, teaching, I it's edification. Now, prophesying is, is a proclamation, and it's proclaiming the Word of God. It is not just foretelling. Like, I think that's where we get confused with prophetic is that we treat it as, well, we're like the book of Revelation, and we're foretelling the end times. Well, prophetic in the best in, in the best way I can understand it is you're you're getting God's full counsel. So you're hearing right from the Lord. You're He's He's showing you stuff through the Holy Spirit. He's expounding. He's revealing Himself to you. And I believe that is a lot of times what we're missing in the body because we treat the prophetic as very. Um, if I can say this without anybody getting, we we treat it with like a weirdness about it. Like mm-hmm. it has to be eyes rolling back in your head. And, and really what, I, what I'm what i afraid of is we've confused prophetic and mysticism together. And we think that mysticism is really surrounding the word of the prophetic and that all of these things that have become very um, dangerous for a lot of believers, such as like there's a meditation that's healthy and then there's a meditation that's demonic. There yeah. is, um, there's a mysticism. There's a... There is a, there's what we would call Christian mystics, mystics, and that's basically just kind of seeing the surrealness around God, Mm -hmm. tapping into who he is, spending time meditating on him. But then there's a dangerous mysticism too, and I think we have to be cautious and cognitive of the fact of what we're doing, how we're doing it, and that all, not all prophetic things is our eyes roll back in our head and we're, you know, ascending three heavens up into that. It's basically as simple as, God's revealing his heart to his people. Yeah. And um, I want to stay here for a little, just a, a little bit, because there's someone um, that I know who operates in the prophetic. Um, well, it's someone that I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really around uh, someone from my um, somewhere else that I lived, but um uh, she got really frustrated because she would be getting prophetic words to help other people, like to edify other people, to encourage other people. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wanted a word for herself. And so she started to get very um, irritated. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just want to talk about like, I think there, I don't see very much, prophetic now i'm not saying like okay for example the thing the skipping the rocks with dad that you talked about in the message that kind of like the vision prophetic vision that you got that could apply to you Mm -hmm. as well like i'm that was for a lot of other people that you spoke that vision to but that could also apply to you but i don't think that's what this um this girl was meaning i think she wanted like answers and clear prophetic insight to her own life and she wasn't getting that so she got frustrated because it was always for others so what do you think about getting prophetic for yourself well i think that in that regard i would be praying and seeking just for direction so i would be diving into the word i would be asking the lord to use the word to influence me I would ask mm-hmm. that um, I think I think coming back to a certain extent with that, because usually if you're trying to get a prophetic word for yourself or you're needing a word, it's for direction. Mm-hmm. It's for guidance for what the next step That's is. That's what it was. Yeah. And um, in that regard, I think I would continue to walk in trust and faith because he lights the path. He mm-hmm. guides the steps of the righteous. He he directs my paths. And I think there's so many scriptures that allude to this 
this um, promise and principle that he's directing my path. And all things are going to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what I usually do in those seasons when I need direction is, first and foremost, I get into the Word and I get into prayer. I trust that he's guiding my footsteps. I get around a council of people. Uh, so for me, I have several guys that I trust to, to pray into things. Um, um, because I want to say this, and I, I will say this with very much caution, and I will say this with as much love as I can possibly say it, because I do not mean to attack. It is probably the most dangerous thing for your spiritual walk if you believe you can do this by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if if you ever get to the point where I don't need anybody else to give me a word, I don't need anybody else to give me direction, I don't need this, I don't need that, um, and you try to isolate yourself so much, um, I think it's very dangerous. And you could, you could say like, well, I just have Jesus and I'm just going to go into a room and hide out. Okay? I understand the principle because Jesus is our greatest... Th- I mean, he's everything. He, he's our source. He's our strength, our provision, our redeemer, our ransomer. Jesus is my all in all. All things are made for him, by him, and through him. Jesus is the end game. Jesus is everything. We can establish that. But yet Paul would not have labored so much in Corinthians. Peter would not have talked about it. All throughout the New Testament we have where we come together and edify and sharpen each other. Why? Because we can look at people like um, Joseph Smith with Mormonism or Alice Bailey with what produced New Ageism or others all across the area, or even you go back to Muhammad, all of these people had a vision or had a, and what they would call angelic visitation or this happening. And what happens when you have no accountability is then you become the final say. Yeah. And so I really encourage people not to seek words for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's just my that's my personal thing that I've learned over the last few years. Yeah. I think you need I think you need brothers and sisters to hold hold you accountable. Yeah. And to pull in the reins when you need it. Yeah. Like and I'm not saying they're dictating, they're, I'm not saying they're your final authority, but I've had people in my life who've been very gracious and very loving and was very serious and they just said, "Hey Aaron, we love you, but we think you need to pull it back a little bit in this area." And yeah. um Sometimes it's hard to see things yourself. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see clearly. Sometimes, I mean, you have emotions. There's so many different factors, um, stress, different things. But something that, you know, I've actually been talking about with some, a few people is the caution of getting so focused on wanting a word but not getting in the word because I do I think we have to be careful Mm -hmm. of not getting kind of addicted to just people giving us words for direction and and getting it in the word in our time with the Lord because I do I think sometimes if maybe we're not if no one's giving us a prophetic word and maybe you know we've gotten excited because I've, I've talked to some people that they never even knew that existed like they didn't know that they could you know that the how powerful the prophetic was and once you start to see it and you are like wow that's amazing and then you expect it sometimes yep. but i think when we're not getting it a lot of times the lord just wants us to get into our word and just seek with him because he will i mean it says seek and you will find not sure. and the door shall be open we know like and I guess this is something that even with new believers especially, but even with seasoned believers that maybe haven't gotten their word as much as, you know, we should. Um, I think just reminding, letting the word get in us 
so that when we when we are in a season like that we are at a crossroads like the word will come up and remind us okay like we're 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 okay we're we just need to keep you know seeking the lord yep. and those scriptures because not knowing the word makes every situation harder yeah i think that prophetic words um i do not that's not where i find my trust in they mm-hmm. complement what usually the word's already showing me yeah. or complement what the Holy Spirit's already show, uh, revealing to me. And I think that's where, um, well, the, I think it's always important to remember what Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians, that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And that um, we don't have to run around shooting off everything we hear. We don't have to go and tell everybody everything we hear. And we don't have to go run around and reveal everything that we've been revealed to us. Sometimes we don't need to. Um, but really what I found in that also is that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet is that I I don't want arrogance. I don't want pridefulness. Um, I think that sometimes we terrify people with this whole stuff like, oh my gosh, they hear from the Lord. God's going to reveal everything I'm doing to them. And they're going to come telling me. And we call it reading your mail and everything. Well, my mail has been read before for sure. But whenever the Lord does things prophetically, it's always for the hope of edification. And it's yeah. never outside of the context of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so if we're more founded in the Word, then we understand exactly um, how it's applying, where it applies. But more than, more than that, to, to piece all this together, the reason it's important to be in the Word and the reason it's important that our spirit of the prophet is subject to prophet is that sometimes you have to discern what's you and what's the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And because that's where we have to pull in the reins. And the way we do that 99% of the time is, is it in the Word? Am I going to prophesy something contrary to the Word? And I've heard people, and I've heard people who would say, I operate in the prophetic. Um, and this is probably one of the dangers I've seen about prophetic people for a long time. And again, I'm, I'm all for the prophetics. So when I say dangers, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just saying these are the things I've seen is they've neglected the Word. Mm-hmm. They don't get in the word because they think that, well, I have an ear to hear. Why would I need to get in the word? The Holy Spirit is going to tell me everything I need to know. Well, yes, but the Holy Spirit really likes the Bible because, well, he wrote it. And so, it, you know, we can't we can't do one without the other. You don't get yeah. to be super spiritual without being super word, but you shouldn't be super word without super spiritual either. They go together. And um, if they didn't, the Lord would never establish the word and preserve his word, protect his word. So I think when we say the subject, the prof, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet is that we have to know when to say it, what to say, and discern, is this even a biblical prophecy or am I being led astray? Because I've seen people prophesy things that are not godly, but they sounded good. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, me and Heather, I share this like, me and Heather's been prophesied over a whole lot. Um, and like this one time, we both love music. We got down off a of stage. This one guy said, you all are going to go to England and lead worship in a revival there. Well, that sounds really good. Like, great prophecy. But I just looked at her and said, I'm not going to England. I don't think, I mean, I know like that's completely contrary to what we've had so many confirm in us yeah. what we're supposed to be doing. And so, for one thing, you don't want me to sing. Um, I am not going to change any nation by singing. <laughs> Promise you that. But the prophecy was good. It wasn't like demonic. Like it wasn't, 
that. But what I think this guy didn't know, and I think this is the thing we fall very – well, he may have knew it, but this is a reason – and I've done this too, so I'm not blaming him whenever I've done the same thing – is we hear a good thing that's us, hmm. but it's not a God thing of the Spirit. Yeah. And I think that's where we have to learn that the Spirit – of when you're a prophetic is it's subject you don't have to say everything and everything's not from god you have to learn to discern you have to have learn have the word and you got to learn when to say something when not to say something and some of that takes growth and maturity yeah i think it yeah growth and maturity but i think also discipleship helps Mm -hmm. because learning what scripture has to say about these things seeing someone else who operates in the prophetic but is more experienced and has learned these things i think it definitely helps so i would definitely encourage like you know people who do operate in the prophetic maybe you've been doing it for a while you've you know learned how to discern a lot of things and learn the importance of your word to just kind of find some people you know to pour into and and teach yeah the right you know, with the guardrails on how to do it the right way. Um, and I think one more thing on this, and then um, we'll do our announcements. Um, anyways, um, I think another thing, too, is with the spirit of the prophet as subject to the prophet, just because you have a word does not mean that you get to dishonor or disrespect the house. And what I mean by that is I, I've seen a lot of younger people, especially in the prophetic, who will go into houses or go up to somebody and... Um, they just fly off the handle and just start prophesying over everybody and start declaring everything and walk up to people. And I've seen seen people disrupt the service to do it and all this. Um, there is a proper etiquette and a proper way to prophesy and a respectful and honorable way to do it. Um, and not every time you're in a service with everybody, you should go prophesy over them. Um, especially like I've seen a lot of times like when a guest speaker somewhere, everybody wants to go prophesy to the guest speaker. Like everybody, you may not even be part of the house, but you know, here, um, I can only contest to what we do here at Bethel Fellowship. I believe the gifts are freedom and I believe you should have freedom to operate. Paul talked about that well as well, but like we talk about all the time, there was guardrails to that freedom. Guardrails never prevent you from moving forward. They only prevent you from falling off the cliff. And we've been so scared to give guardrails to the gifts because we've seen other churches completely suppress them out the door. And so we're scared of that. So now we overcorrect and let everybody do everything they want to, but then there's no decency in order and the Holy Spirit's a God of order. And so there's a proper way to do all things. And we have to learn, um, like here, if you have a word, we want you to operate in your gift. Like on a Sunday morning, if somebody gets a word, you can operate in your gift. And But what happens usually is they'll come up to me and and I'm not saying I'm God. I'm just saying, like, it's just a it's it's the way we keep things in order. But anybody can prophesy. But when you come and tell me, we'll weigh it out. And there's been times that I've I've told them like, we're gonna do that another day. Or um, thank you, but I'm not for sure you're right. Like mm-hmm. I you know, and I think sometimes that has to happen. And um, you know, Jacob who's on with us Wednesday mornings, he's he's been here a lot longer than I have. A whole lot longer. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. But whenever he feels like he gets a word, he still comes. He never just goes, rips the mic off the pulpit or anything like that. And at the end of the day, it's just an honor for the house. And that way, it don't become chaotic. And I've had people come up and ask me, and I've told them, I don't think it's right now. 
Um, and then sometimes I'm like, yeah, let's share it. Well, I don't want to share it. You share it. So, okay. You sure you don't want to share it? Um, and I think all that is not, it, I, I don't think everybody, anybody ever really feels suppressed. Now you may get offended because you just can't do what you want to do whenever you want to do it and however you want to do it. But at the end of the day, there's no, you can't do this. There's not freedom to worship. There's not, because one of the things we hear the most out of people when they come to service here is I just felt the freedom. Like I felt freedom to worship. I felt the freedom Mm -hmm. to do this. So there's a lot of freedom in the house, but even in freedom, there's still honor and respect and proper order. And um, that's a thing I'm not scared to tackle. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've tackled over tongues too. Like um, I've been very vocal of how I see tongues. I, I think it's a prayer language. I think it's real. I think it's vital. I think it's vital to the body. But I also personally never see permission in Scripture for a pastor to stand up there and tell everybody to speak in tongues. Because Paul says it himself, not all men will speak in tongues. Um, and I, he would prefer you to prophesy rather than speak in tongues anyways. And so is there a proper time for tongues and a proper way for tongues? Yes. But I think a lot of the giftings and a lot of the gifts of the Spirit comes back to this principle. We've actually lost the awesomeness and the allness around them. Yeah. Like, you probably remember when you were younger and you would see the gifts done. There was there was a more of an honor for them. Mm-hmm. It was more of a sa- sacred, I guess you could say, like a, a spiritual thing. And nowadays, and I think a lot of this was birthed out of the charismatic movement that I'm not against. I just think there was b- things that happened when they started teaching people to speak in tongues. Like you spell Coca-Cola five times or you tie my tie, tie your tie. Um, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And what what we were doing, trying to speak in tongues. Disrespectful. Yeah. But I think it birthed something. Yeah. I think it I almost I think it birthed a contempt, contempt for the, the gifts. Yeah. And um, and not only that, but. Well, no, you're fine. Oh, we're out of time. Almost. Go ahead. You're good. But I think for, you know, I've actually always, I've had to work with, you know, between me and the Lord of actually being fearful of speaking in tongues or sorry, being fearful of speaking in a wrong tongue. I know that might sound weird, sure. but because I grew up with people faking it, I mm. never wanted to fake it. So if it really was coming upon me in, in the right time, in, in a genuine time with the spirit, I've always like tried to, you know be more guarded and not really let let myself experience that freedom because I'm like, Lord, I don't want this to be not right. You want and, to be real. And we shouldn't have to feel that way either. No. But I think that is a product. I think more people feel that way too. And that's a product out of the the culture of making, not, dishonoring you. Sure. Well, I mean, if we taught it correctly and gave the, the correct guardrails that Paul did in Corinthians, and said, this is what it is, it actually releases us to operate in the gift to the fullest capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, what what we've kind of done for so long is, I don't think we're at the level of what Corinth was. But I think if we don't have pastors and leaders to pull it in, there's some churches that are there, and there's more churches that will be there. And basically what happened at Corinth is the spiritual gifts were abused in such an extent that it became a chaotic scene. And it was no edification. There was no, um, there was no production, I guess, or product productivity. Because when the gifts of the spirit are being in operation, they should be producing something. It should be edifying. It should be growing the church. It should be maturing the believers. And when it's chaotic, it doesn't. It actually brings confusion. And if what you're doing is bringing confusion and not clarity, then you may be doing it in the wrong spirit. 
And there's no other way to say it because even when Jesus come with a dividing word to to split, even it said it's going to split families even at times. That's not confusion. It's actually bringing clarity to somebody and they're getting revelation. If what we're doing in the body is bringing confusion and only confusion, then we need to look at what we're doing because I never see in Scripture where God's a God of confusion except for those select times that he brought specific confusion, like whenever um, the two were going into the camp and made it sound like there's a lot. There's kind of like a confusion there, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about in the body. We should have a clarity. We should have understanding because we're people of truth and we're people of wisdom, and we have a Spirit of God who directs us in all things. And if what we're doing with the gifts is not producing production, productivity, moving us forward, and it's only bringing confusion and hostility and all this, then we may be using some of the gifts wrong. And mm-hmm. and so I don't, I mean, all this, I think teaching on gifts is something we need to do more, but I think a lot of pastors don't do it because I think they're fearful people thinking they're going to try to suppress somebody. Yeah. And I just don't think we can have that. I think it's, I think it's too important to just not teach anything about it. So we sh- we should teach that it's here. We should teach they're operational. We should teach they're important. But we should never teach that the gifts are bigger than the gifter. And we should never think that's what's going to change the world because Jesus changed the world. And But we also should never think that well, we can't put guardrails up because then somebody thinks we're going to be controlling and dictating. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to follow the word. And if the word tells us to put guardrails up, we put guardrails up. If the word says, let everything be done in chaos and disorder, well, I don't think it ever says that. So we don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I guess that was a good 30 minutes. We didn't get John announcements, anything. But, <laughs> hey, that's what we do here. All right. Uh, we have Lance Johnson and uh, crew coming in at 8 o'clock today. We're going to spend time with them. Um, I don't have the I don't have the trivia questions um, this morning. So... I, don't I think we might have to announce them later because I think uh, Miss Gretchen is uh, on vacation yeah. and she usually gets those. Um, I have to figure out what to do there. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. Mariah, you got any suggestions? We might have to come up with one over the break. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come up with one over the break. All right. Well, we're going to take a break here. I'm going to come back here with more on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. Alrighty, uh, we are back. We're still considering, we're continuing our spiritual gift talking here. Um, interesting. I think this is probably one of the things that need as much direction as we can possibly give. The problem is, and I'm going to be honest, I think the problem is a lot of Bible teachers never really look into the practical use of spiritual gifts. They just kind of overview it and move on. But yet, the gifts of the church are there for the edification of the church. And so... Whether that's administration, whether that's the fivefold giftings in Ephesians 4, whether that's the giftings in 1 Corinthians or the giftings in Romans, wherever you want to go to for the spiritual gifts, all of them are vitally important. And we need to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that includes gifting. So um, it's just we're not going to get hung up on it again because it is, it is a conversation that we will we can continue for days and days and days. And it is edifying. But um, I found a trivia question. So trivia question number one, sponsored by the Sicilian Bank. Who is considered the thirteenth apostle? Apostle. <laughs> Who is considered the thirteenth apostle to replace Judas Iscariot? Who was considered the thirteenth apostle to replace Judas Iscariot? Two seven zero two five seven 
2689 is the number you can call in to get your name for this fresh two-week draw. And remember, you can get your name in twice every two-week period here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio. And um, we'll draw not this Friday, but next Friday. I'll get to what we're going to be drawing for. And then Joey Sosh gave me a man joke of the day. Why did the, bi- why did the bicycle fall over? Because it was too tired. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, and he got me, he has another uh, Bible trivia question. He, he found me one. Um, <clears throat> we'll do that one next next one. And so now, Joey, since you made the question, you can't call in and get that question. So just telling you, setting the perimeters there. And then um, a couple of announcements. We've got Clarkson Communities VBS starts this Wednesday. Um, I think that's at 6 o'clock. They'll start that. Uh, I didn't get to go to Bishop Lance last night. He's going to be with us here in just a few minutes. I was not able to go last night because we had horses running through fence, and they were down, and they were in people's yards and all over the little spot back there. And so, oh, Billy, Mr. Billy Lastly got it right um, on the answer, and that was Matthias. So um, um, that's great. Congratulations, Pastor Bill. He's going to be in here with Bishop Lance here in just a few minutes. And so excited for them. I hated that I could not be there. I love I, I love Brother Lance. I love Brother Billy. I love them all. And I was so looking forward to it for weeks. And um, But, you know, I didn't want to, like, get the horse run over and then I get sued and all these big old things happen. It's just <laughs> had to put on my adult pants. Sacrifice. And, um, but I was I was thinking about them, and I, I really do wish I could be there. But, um, but. I know God moved in a big way. Yeah, a lot of good amen. reports. And um, also, man up at the lake July 27th, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. Bethel's VBS is happening August 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Greater Vision Free Concert on East Main Street in August the 4th, August the 4th in Litchfield, Kentucky. And then September 10th, 11th, and 12th, the Harvest Crusade, which we will discuss some here in a few minutes with uh, Bishop Lance and the crew. I'm going to call them the crew because I'm not for sure all who's coming in. Um, and so... Oh, I thought you were saying his brother's name was Crew. Oh, I don't think so. It was so. The Crew. The gotcha. Crew. The Crew. Uh, <laughs> and so, but very excited for that at 8 o'clock. So make sure you're staying tuned for that. And we'll get you the next trivia question coming up here at the next break. So we've been talking a lot about spiritual gifts and the perimeters of the gifts and um, and all that. And, and, you know, I used to really, as a younger person, really, I used to, it used to get on my nerves when people would say, God's a God of order. God's a God of this. I was thinking, well, He's not a controlling guy. He he's not trying to keep such a tight grip. It's not about controlling and it's not about dictating. Actually, in reality, it's about protection. Mm-hmm. And um, when we give guardrails to things, the best way we can say it is we're giving protection because I've seen people fall off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some really weird stuff in church that had nothing <laughs> to do with the spirit of God. And, and what happens is it actually hurts the body. It hurts the credibility of the body. It hurts the reputation of the body. And people, you know, people talk about, well, it's just the wildfire. Wildfire's fine because it spreads. No, like what happens so often, that's not wildfire. Wildfire for me is the fire of God blowing. It's the thing, it's the fire that's sparking. It's the fire that's spreading. It's the fire that's moving throughout the body and throughout the earth. What a lot of times we call wildfire is nothing more than manifestations of the flesh. Mm. And to me, there's a big difference between wildfire and manifestations of the flesh. And in a move of God, there has to be, and God will raise up leaders who are protecting, never suppressing. 
And I think there's that thing of people feel like, well, if you put a guardrail up, you're suppressing me from what God's really called me to do. Well, at times that has happened. I could think of leaders right now that I know will suppress the moving of the Spirit. Like, I know it. Like, I know them. It's, we're not going to hide it. It's not like it doesn't happen. But that's, that's not always what's happening. Sometimes, again, it's going back to protecting because we've been called to steward this move of God. We've been called to steward um, what's going on. And as leaders of houses and pastors and leaders of communities and local communities and local assemblies, you have been given the task of stewardship. It's not just your finance you steward. You steward all that God's given us. Um, Ephesians talks about we've all been given a measure of grace. Mm -hmm. And so Hannah has a measure of grace. Hannah has giftings that God's given her. Hannah's got callings that God's given her. She's got a steward. And if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the vocation of which we're called. Yeah. In reality, steward over what God's called you to steward into. That means personal holiness. That means walking in integrity, walking in character. If he's called you to be a preacher, you 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 put your heart and soul into it. Like you, you take it with seriousness. You take it with the weightiness it should be. Um, you should... You should study and study deeply. Like, um, and I, I'm not talking like I don't get to get I don't get to sit down and read books like I want. Like I would love nothing more to get in my office on that nice comfortable couch and just read, just read, 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 study, study, study. My studying has to look different because of my schedule. So I listen a lot. I listen to podcasts. I learn. I grow. But I never understand how I know preachers who will preach and never study at all yeah. I'm like what are you preaching like well and they'll tell me well I'm just I'm relying completely on the spirit of God but they're they're telling me they're relying on the spirit of God and I'm not trying to be critical what I'm trying to do is help us yeah. is when I hear them preach and they're saying well I'm just relying on the spirit they don't talk about the word they never unpack scripture they talk about their soapboxes. They talk about what they think should be happening. They talk about what you're doing and you shouldn't be doing they talk about all this but they never give us word and how dangerous of a thing for us to have preachers and teachers behind pulpits that never teach the Word of God. Very dangerous. I feel like study time should be like incorporated in this like schedules of uh, pastors, which I understand some pastors are way busier than others. But I think that'll be a good thing. Like I don't know how much time, but like incorporated in each day, like in part of the. I mean, I don't like to say job, but part of the calling. You know. Sure part of the day john macarthur important. when john i'm sorry Mm-mm, i, don't, no, I, I try not to cut you important. out um john macarthur when he got hired as pastor of grace community back in the 70s they asked him um you know how much time do you think you need to study and he looks at him and goes about 30 hours a week and they go what um because it was a small church like for them it was it was a smaller church and um and he said, 30 hours a week, I think bare minimum. And they said, that's not including your visitation and all that. So he said, no, I just need to mark off 30 hours a week where I'm in my study, my office studying. And so he started to do it. And um, everybody told him he was crazy because he started preaching through books of the Bible. And they're they're right over there by Hollywood and Los Angeles and all that area. They're in that part of California and they said, you'll never grow a church here because all these other churches are doing all these, even back in the 70s, they were doing these theme things, trying to bring people in because it's such a different society and different area over there. And he said, I'm just going to preach the Bible. 
And again, I don't think I agree with everything MacArthur says by any means, but I do have a lot of honor and respect for him. And I think he's probably one of the best Bible teachers for historical context, contextualization, all these things um, in, in the United States today. I think he is a great Bible teacher. And he started studying those 30 hours, just teaching through the book of the Bible. And now he's the most downloaded preacher. If He's one of them, if not the highest downloaded preacher in the world. Um, he's wrote all the commentaries. He's done all this. And his church, like during COVID, which they wasn't even supposed to, he was one of the few churches in California that stayed open. They threatened to take away his parking lot. They t- they threatened everything they could. And he won every court. He, I mean, he never backed down. That's I really do appreciate that from him. Um, they were having 800 children in children's church during COVID wow. on a Sunday. That's awesome. I mean, it's just like, and again, I don't agree with his his teaching on the gift of the spirit. Uh, I don't agree with all of his teachings on stoterology or anything like that. But I do honor and respect him for making a stand and saying, hey, I just those 30 hours. I mean, it's been a growing, flourishing church. He does the they have the master seminary. They have all these things, um, which is a big, big seminary. And he he's a chancellor there. So it's not like he's not busy. He just said, here's the importance of that. And I read stories like that and I'm convicted. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, I, I think it's and I'm not saying anything to any pastors out there that I don't say in the mirror. But mm-hmm. our greatest tool to preach with is the word. Our our greatest pull to develop us and to pray and get communion is, is, is prayer. Prayer's a weapon, but the the word is our sword. And how mm-hmm. can we wield the sword with precision and sharpness if we never use it, if we never get in there, if we never dive in there and learn the word and grow in the word and study the word and meditate on the word, feast of the word and um it's like a buffet we ignore. It's like going to Golden Corral and we ignore everything on the table and just go and eat the salad bar. Yeah. And yuck. I do like what uh, Brother Ramsey says about fresh bread because, I mean, the word is always, we can get something new out of the same scripture every single day. But I like what he says on, you know, we need fresh bread every day, mm-hmm. a fresh, fresh word from the Lord every day fresh time with him in the word every day yeah i love that i love that too good stuff um we're we're wounding up we're getting ready 10 minutes from here we're gonna get brother lance in here and the crew and excited for that and i hated i couldn't have been there last night i was so looking forward to it all the time and those those horses uh (laughs) put them back in three times and fence is still falling down we found more fence down and so actually today once it stops raining pretty much gonna have to rebuild a whole fence today so it's gonna be fun stuff Mariah's gonna come help me she's over there she says I don't think I agreed to that uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh but it, it is very good day it's uh is this still I wonder if it's still raining outside is this still raining Mariah well it needs to quit raining because I got horse fences to fix um, but no God is so good and like I think all this got started yesterday just because we was talking about you know the word and what's going on and and um, we're just always very much um, appreciative and full of gratitude when the Spirit of God moves because I don't think we should ever take it for granted. Yeah. Like sometimes I think we do. Like um, we take it for granted that the Spirit of God's pouring out. We take it for granted that the Spirit of God's moving, um, that the body's coming together um, because we're around it a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I should I never want that. Like yeah. um, I always want to have that level of gratitude to it. To the uh, father. I like how you gave that like little test. Well, it wasn't little, but the testimony of like the guys that you were working with, you got into their car oh, and yeah. you know, you didn't, you heard the worship music blasting in their cars. Like, 
Um, I feel like the Lord let me experience something like that over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, The Lord, I never really intended to like um, disciple children or like teach children so much just like um, without even intending on it. But the Lord has like, it's like the kids will gravitate towards me at church. Like, you know, Eliza always gravitates towards me. So, you know, at prayer meetings and church and I mean, I love it. Like I've really developed a heart for kids. Um, but I was at a, you know, a couple's house this weekend and their daughter was one that has been recently saved at a prayer meeting here. Sure. Um, and so we weren't talking about Jesus. We were just like throwing Frisbee outside. We weren't even like talking anything about Jesus or prayer or anything like that. But she said, Hannah, I want to go. I want to show you something, it, something special. I think you'll like it. And I was like, okay, cool. So she brings me outside um, to this little area. And she said, well, I haven't told my mom yet because I've been waiting um, to show her in person. And I was like, okay, what is it? You know, I was curious. And she takes me over to this little tree stump. And she said, this is my prayer spot. Oh, this is where I amazing. come. This is where I come and pray with, just by myself. Yeah. She said, I don't want my brother to know because if he knows, he'll come and try to aggravate me while, <laughs> while I'm praying. <laughs> but I mean, it was just it, it melted my heart because she was praying in secret. Like yep. she wasn't pr- like she was showing me because she knew that I would that I would love it. Yeah. But she wasn't, you know, trying to like brag about it. She wasn't going and telling a bunch of people like she was just showing me her special spot that she prays with the Lord. That's amazing. And that just like that was me being able to see like growth. You know, sometimes with kids especially like you just don't really you don't really realize how they're maturing sometimes because they're kids and, you know, they just they're not always the most mature in other ways, but when you see that spiritual maturity like that, it's just very encouraging. So Yeah. That is, that's a great testimony. That's a great testimony. And I remember, I remember how, I mean, we've had that happen twice pretty much in prayer meetings where a a child would get saved and nobody shares the gospel. They just looked, I think the Lord just saved me, you know, and that's what happens when the spirit of God moves is that souls come in and souls are transformed and souls are tra- changed. And, um, you know, I'm going to do a shameless plug here and believe, say this, we believe in children. Like we believe in ministering to children. We believe in reaching out to them. Um, You know, that's why we have our academy over here is to try to instill a biblical worldview. And we are just, we're hungry. Like the body of Christ. I I said, I heard a preacher say this the other day. If you're not going after the presence of God and the next generation, you're really not in a move of God. And I thought that was so prolific. And whenever he said that, it just kind of shook me to the core that, True moves of God are happening when you're going after the presence of his, the presence of the Lord and the next generation. And because that's our legacy. Legacy, legacy is not the amount of money you're leaving. Legacy is not the houses you're leaving. The heritage is not, that's not what is impressive in legacy. What your legacy is, is what arrows are you firing out of your quiver? What are you releasing into the earth? What are you, um, who are you developing? Who is going to be double what you are? And if you don't leave an inheritance of um, sons and daughters, and whether that's physically, naturally, spiritually, whatever it is, if you're not leaving that kind of heritage, what kind of heritage legacy are you really leaving? Because houses, they'll fade away. Money goes away. Um, We don't even know if the dollar is going to be here next week at this point. Like, we never know. And so why put everything we've got into getting something that will not stay in the course of time? But our children, they are going to be eternal. Amen. Like they're eternal. And now where they spend eternality is, you know, that's the question. And we're trying to get them in the right place. 
But at the end of the day, like your money's going to fade away. Your houses are going to fade away. They'll, those legacies, those heritage, they're going to fade away. But the one that never does is our children and the next mm-hmm. generation. And that's our hunger. And um, that's why we're going after Generation Z so much. That's why we want the younger generation. That's why on Wednesday nights we're trying to figure out how to minister to the whole family, not just bunch of them in a room and expect we're just entertaining them for a couple hours. And I, I want to, I want them to grow. I want them to learn. I want them to be stretched. I want the power of God to change our children. I want the power of God to change our teenagers. And um, we're after that in our academy this year. Amen. And I also, we only have a few minutes You're left, fine. but I want to use this time um, and this make a segue to the VBS. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this our VBS that we're having here at Bethel, I'm not sure what all VBSs have this this wide of an age group, but we're actually having age three to up to 18. Mm-hmm. So the older group will be like a 13 to 18 year old. So if you have a teenager that, you know, maybe hasn't had an opportunity to go to something like this, um, and I would... Um, I want to get the word out there and tell, you know, make sure to tell um, other parents and other teenagers that there's going to be a group with teens here at this VBS, August 3rd through the 5th here at Bethel. Amen. Well, we're going to take a break here. Uh, here's the next trivia question. Um, to This one's an easy one for you. This is going to be an easy one. What was the name of the man set free when Jesus went to the cross? What was the man, name of the man, set free when Jesus went to the cross? 270-257-2689. We're going to break it out a minute or two early, get a song going on, and we're going to get Bishop Lance and the crew in here and excited for what the Spirit of God is going to do in this next hour. We'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. All right, we are back here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. We're excited to be in on this beautiful day. Um, we've got a treat for us for the next hour. We're just, um, I hated that I couldn't, I'm still upset about that. I just about sold the horses last night. Just somebody come get them so I don't have to fix the fence and I can go to church. All right. <laughs> But we have Bishop Lance Johnson in the room with us and Brother Billy Lastly right down the road at Madrid Pentecostal and Hannah's still in here with us. How are you gentlemen doing today? We are doing absolutely fantastic. We're doing great this morning. Amen. So how was service last night? I didn't get to uh, just pray for me. My heart's a little heavy. <laughs> well, I tell you, it was powerful. The presence of the Lord was uh, was very strong. Um, I said something uh, last time I was there that the whole church became an altar, and uh, that was definitely yeah. the case last night. Just a lot of a uh, lot of people just broken before the presence of the Lord and just going after the face of God. It was it was very strong. Amen. And I know uh, Brother Tim was talking a little bit about this morning with us about. Um, what was being said and preached and like and the word that was going forth and it sounded like a great word and um uh, i don't know the lord will heal me uh i just hated that i couldn't be there and so um uh now august the 6th is the next time you're going to be in here over at magic correct yes sir uh yeah. i believe so yep um well are you you got anywhere that morning scheduled yet uh, I haven't. Uh, I don't. I haven't even actually even looked at my uh, at my calendar to know where I am that day. Uh, I just know I'm here that night. Yep. Yep. Um, well, it's. Uh, I've I've really appreciated um, the Lord connecting us. Yes, sir. Um, I know that we don't talk all the time, but the moments I've reached out to you from the bottom of my heart, thank you for responding back and being there and 
and um, you're going to be a father to the nations. I know it. Well, it's exciting to uh, to be in, in relationship with so many awesome men and women of God here in West Kentucky and the things that God is doing. There's a there's really a move of God in the in the unifying of leaders right mm-hmm. now, like I've never experienced in over thirty years of ministry, where actually pastors are, are coming together without any agendas but loving one another, encouraging one another, yeah. uh, building up one another for the purpose of building his kingdom and, sure. and all of our churches that we lead and pastor is important, but but there's a priority of just building His kingdom in the earth today to take our country back in in yeah. in, in essence. Because if the church doesn't emerge, we're in. I personally believe we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm just thankful that leaders are coming together to work together uh, for the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. Yeah, because our hope isn't who's in the Oval Office. Our hope is a is who's on the throne of the universe and yes. the church that's burning for the one on the throne. Absolutely. And because um, if we can get the church right, we get fathers right, we get moms right, we get children right. And um, we always, I always teach like this a lot that I believe the natural follows the spiritual. Yes, sir. And the reason the natural's in such a mess is because the church has been such a mess yes, for so long. And the enemy's had his heyday for so long with the church. And really the attack on family didn't start in the nation. It started in the church. And once we started sacrificing things in the church because we were so hopeful and we were holding out like, well, let's just get rid of gender roles. Let's get rid of all that. Let's just make everybody equal. Let's make everything like that. But God has set up gender roles. God has established the family. God has established the way to do things. One male, one female. We're not 50,000 different genders. We're two. Like when we started letting this thing infiltrate the church, it was just heyday in the natural then because we are the watchmen. That's the, right. We are there, and and so I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, I uh, I have I have taught and preached for years that the problems that our nation is battling right now politically, the church was battling them long before mm-hmm. they become political issues, and a lot of people don't like to hear that. But when the church compromises, then it infiltrates the world. Yeah. And uh, what I'm seeing now with revival spreading across the nation is that the church is returning uh, to the foundational truths of of the Word of God. They're mm-hmm. becoming intimate with God once again. Yes. Their their uh, holiness through Christ in us mm-hmm. versus holiness through legalism yes, and, and people are um we're I believe we're gonna see a change in our nation shortly mm-hmm. uh because there's coming a tremendous change in the church. For the last, you know, three to five years, repentance has been something that I, I think has been absent from the church. But in these revivals that's been going on for the last five years, we're seeing a lot of brokenness, a lot of repentance even last night in the services you know the this there was so much repentance last night people crying out to God with brokenness and repentance for um you know for just simply being slack or lack in their walk with God letting their priorities get out mm-hmm. of order uh letting things creep into their lives that you know that dishonors God or things that would grieve the Holy Spirit and now they're they're in the altars broken repentant and and seeking the grace of God to transform transform and change instead of using the grace of God as an excuse to continue in that in that behavior or that lifestyle now there there's real repentance that's happening a real yes, genuine 
I'm spirit led brokenness in God's people and and that that is extremely encouraging to my heart. I get I get a little misguided thinking about it just because I know the results of what's coming. Um, you know, Acts says that uh, repent ye therefore and be converted right. that Come your on. sins be blotted out. And and when real repentance comes it brings conversion, yeah. which mm-hmm. means change, transformation, and that's yes, what sir. God's doing in the church, I believe, with every fiber who I am, he's bringing transformation so that we're once again that light that's set on a hill that we have not put under a bushel come on when we met met on tuesday yeah pastors met there on tuesday and it was just it was awesome i was hoping you've been there but anyway uh there was like six or seven of us and every one of us was in repentance and i'm not talking about the church people i'm talking about pastors just humbly repenting and publicly repenting and for our slothfulness and late spiritual laziness and that, but uh, unifying the body, I'm gonna go back to that because uh, Brother Lance has been—he's spoken to my life the last sure. eight months, and you know, and he just brings you know a connection. And I'm telling you what, how God is bringing people together, unifying the body of Christ. I mean, that's what we've been praying for, Josh and I, there in the church as unity uh, for the past few years. But I'm—it just thrills my heart, you know, to know and see what God is doing. It's it's the Spirit of God that's doing this and drawing people and connecting people together yeah. uh, like I've never seen. And that's, so that lets us know there's something great coming for the church. Yeah, I mean, It's here already, but I just wish more people could get involved in, what, in the Spirit of God and the draw of God right now and really get connected brother to brother, you know, in the Spirit. And that's yeah. what God is doing. It's just wonderful, and I'm so excited about what God is doing. I heard one man of God speak last week. He said uh, that Prayer should not be a a ministry of the church, but share, prayer should be the ministry yes. of the church. Yes. And I see our church and people, they come, they want to come into church during the weeks and begin to pray. And we had prayer last night and mm. prayer, you know, with the pastors. And yes, prayer sir. is a key right now for an awake, great mm-hmm. awakening yes. and a move of God. Yeah. And, you know, and to sustain that, it's going to stay, keep prayer. It's going to, yes, prayer sir. is going to have yeah, to continue. I'm, I so wanted to be there, there too. I just, I need like two. I just, I just need an extra day in the week because um, I had an elders meeting right when you had the uh, prayer meeting, and I just, I'm just, i missing out on all the good stuff. Um, I'm taking a sabbatical till the crusade over in September <laughs> so I can be a part of everything that's happening. Um, let me ask you this, uh, Brother Lance, because the pre- repentance thing you were talking about, how the last three or five years it's happening, I... I'm a young guy. I mean, I've only you've done this a lot longer than I have, and you've seen a lot more. But what I have seen in my short 18 years of ministry is for so long we were preaching to be heard and not preaching to edify. Yes. And I believe what's happening even now right, over, right now with repentance is for so long we were preaching, this is what you don't do, don't do, don't do. And that's repentance. But repentance in its truest sense is metanoia, change the way you're thinking. Yes. And I believe that God's raising up ministers and pastors and teachers in the earth today. That's not trying to get you not to do something. It's trying to get you to do something. That's and right. we've shifted the whole arena around this is not a rules. This is about relationship. And repentance is about changing the way you think, not just necessarily doing what you're doing. Yes. And I believe that's one of the reasons repentance is really flourishing right now is because we're, we're teaching to edify and to build not to be heard and win an argument. Uh, you know, for the last several weeks, um, I, as a matter of fact, last night, if I hadn't have just had such a 
clear word for for this region. Uh, there's been a message that God has just really had me be ministering on, and it was revelation to me as well. Uh, it brought me to a place of, of deep repentance. I, I told the uh, the congregation yesterday morning in Bowling Green, I, I've been I've been just broken and repentant for the last several weeks because part of the 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 purpose of the fivefold ministry, and I think that that. This is significant to what we're the mm-hmm. conversation we're having. The the Bible said God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, uh, for the maturing of the saints mm-hmm. for the the work of the ministry. Yes, so, sir. you know our our responsibility as 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 part of the fivefold ministry is to mature people. We've all wanted to build our churches numerically, yeah. and I understand that. I'm, I'm not being critical toward it. I get it. But we put that as a priority. We put people's church attendance as a priority over building that person into the image of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, we've built them into the image of our institutions, and we've, we've built them in the image of what maybe in our own minds we thought were Christians, when in fact Jesus is the only standard of what real on. Christianity yes, is. Lord. We can't model ourselves after somebody else in the body of Christ. Even even Paul warns us, don't measure yourself one against the other. That That's not how we measure ourselves. Christ is the only standard. Yes, that's why he said later in those verses that we come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. But that comes through edification. It comes through building up people, challenging them, not allowing them to settle for a certain place and become comfortable, what Jesus called lukewarmness. And and even though challenging people to allow Christ to manifest in them, encouraging them to take up their cross and die daily, because the more Christ is manifest in them, the more holy they become. You know, the, the, the rules become a mute issue because Christ begins to be developed. And so holiness is what their, their lifestyle is, not because they had to, but because it's the identity of who they are. And and we we have just failed in building people up. And the work of the ministry is really not, even though we need ushers, we need children's workers, we need all of these things, music people, all those are really important, don't get me wrong. But the work of the ministry is doing what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And, And he went about doing good, healing all manner of diseases, casting out devils. He went preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This was the message. This is everything he did in the New Testament. And then he turns around and tells us in Mark 16, these signs will follow those who believe. So so these should be the natural attributes of a real person who's developed and matured in Christ. It'd be something we're having to seek after, we're having to beg yeah. God for in order to become oh. the overflow. And if we teach people how to how to walk in and develop Christ in them, here's what happens. The church does doesn't become the central source of 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 teaching children about Jesus because when a when a when a man gets right with God and matures then he's knowing the word himself he's Come developed a prayer life he's developed developed the ability to communicate the word of God maybe not from a pulpit but to develop it where fathers are doing Come what on. the Bible says raising their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and the church is not the only place they're learning about yep. God, they're learning about God from, from the parents because the parents are fulfilling the 
the the the commission of the work of the ministry so so instead of you know church being the sole source of where our children get their Come biblical on. understanding and and us depending on the church to have to do everything now you got the whole body of Christ being the body of Christ people are growing up they're maturing they're developing and i promise you we you know we got a crusade coming up that is critically important for this region and harvest now crusade be here in september and i'm beyond excited but what would happen if all the people that we pastor i mean got we're on fire for god and we're out winning their families they're winning their their co-workers they're 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 manifesting the nature and the character of Christ, praying for the people in the workplace that are getting healed. And now now everyone's winning people to Jesus instead of expecting the church, the institution, to do all the work. So, again, I think it goes back to that place of, of edifying the body. So they're repenting, not that I didn't do this, but they're repenting because I'm not bearing the image of Jesus. You yeah, know, right. we, we've changed the standard and, and we created in the church like a church standard, but the real standard is Christ. Come on. We walk even as he walked. Yep. We're being changed into his image from glory to glory. So uh, at the end of the day, I, I believe with every fiber of who I am that, that the repentance that you were talking about and that, that I believe is happening is the same repentance because people are getting edified. They're realizing, you know, hey, look, I'm not. I'm not, not repenting because I, I messed up and said something yesterday I shouldn't have said, or I was r- real rude to a, a cashier. Mm-hmm. But they're repenting because you know I'm not. I'm not bearing the image of Come Christ. On. I'm not. Yeah. I'm yeah, not walking in the fruit of God's mm-hmm. Spirit. And uh, and 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 by edifying people and demonstrating and showing them and modeling the the image of Christ in what we preach as putting him as the standard it's just bringing people into a place of repentance yeah you know the reason that me and hannah looked at each other and smiled each other and smiled just then you literally just preached my message from yesterday almost i mean it's like word for word like we're using the same terminology we're using the same vocabulary the same scriptures everything i love it because that's literally what i preached yesterday morning yes sir and because i think the spirit of god's doing in the earth today he is exactly right um, I am so tired, and I'm just going to be honest with you. This is coming from me. I'm so tired of the empty shouts. Yeah. I'm so tired of the childish, childish behavior that I see in the mirror. Uh, I'm so tired of the normal three songs and a cute sermon, let's go home. And let's, and really, it's it's all coming back to that antichrist system, that religious hold that it's got to where it's actually created a codependency upon the pastor to do everything. And it's some of the pastor's fault, too, because we've created this system where I don't want you engaged in ministry. I just want you to come back, give your tithe the next Sunday and be entertained by me another day. So you'll come back the next week. So I'm not challenging you to change. I'm not going to put pressure on you to transform. I don't need you to mature. I just need you to stay dependent. And that's what religion does. It creates dependency on a man and never dependency upon God. I agree 100 percent. And uh, unfortunately, that that whole system feeds ego. And Mm -hmm. and listen, that's not an attack because, listen, I've been there, so I got no fingers to point. I got no rocks to throw at no one. I've just come to realize that it feeds the ego. It feeds uh, it feeds uh, pride. uh, And, you know, pride is such a secret killer. Um, And, and, you know, 
if you've got any kind of insecurities in your life at all. And, and most people that have come up through the, the journey of ministry have been beat up. They have gone through just immense pressures and battles that, and some of those things in all honesty, create insecurities that sure most does. of us are probably not willing to admit that there's levels of insecurity. And, and that whole system of antichrist that you're talking about feeds into those insecurities and, and actually gives a, a false comfort from them. Instead of people getting healed from those insecurities and being made whole in Christ, we feed uh, yeah, we the, the, the through uh, having people depend upon us, having people to need us. That's why you got competitiveness in the body yep. of Christ that we can't work together because we're afraid somebody's going to get one of our church members and, right. you know, they're going to get that person tithe and I'm just real transparent about that kind of stuff because that's really what goes on and in in over 30 years of, of full-time ministry here's what I found uh, that 90% of the friends that I had years ago the first thing that would happen when they would call me on a Monday I'm talking about pastor friends is how was your offering and how was your attendance mm -hmm. you know it was all about how many heads were there and it was all about how much money and uh, I just got to the point when I finally walked away from our, our, our very large ministry ministry that I had we had pioneered I just walked away because it become a machine it become an institution and mm -hmm. I, I just felt lost and and I yeah. just knew I couldn't do it any longer and I didn't know how to transition that it had gotten so big that if I started changing it I would be I would be the I would be the odd man you know, uh, I'd be the minority by four, all alone. And I just felt like the best thing to do was walk away. And, and I'll be real honest with you. I just got nauseous every time I heard somebody ask, how many people did you have oh. Sunday? Yeah. Uh, you know, how we, how we offering Sunday? It just made me physically sick. Yeah. There's something greater to live for than yes. offerings and, and, and people in pews. And, and, and our assignment is not how big our offerings are so we can send more money to missions or we can feed more hungry people. And those all are very important things. But but our priority has to be to build people. Um, we have got to see Christ formed in people. That has got to be the priority of every minister that they get developed. And, and if they develop better in your hands, then listen, I need to help empower you to help Come empower on. them so to be more of who Christ is. So there's no competitiveness in that. But if we don't let God heal the insecurities we don't get rid of this this system that's uh uh that that i believe is an antichrist system because it goes against the power of christ and it promotes the power of man it's everything man can do for each other versus what god can do through man and and because the Bible said, so let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father, which Come is on. in heaven. So in other words, whatever works that I'm producing, it has to be something that's not possible with, with human abilities, that it has to be what only God can do through me. This is the works that God's after in all of us is works that he does so that when, when, when people see it, they don't praise the man. They don't push the man right. to the pedestal. Yes. They have to give the credit to God because with man, those things were impossible, but with God, all things That's are right. possible. So good. I tell the church here all the time, you don't need me. You need him. Yes. And if you ever look to me, I will fail you. Um, but you know, one thing you were talking about there, the insecurities. And we do have a lot of pastors that listen. I know we have a lot of pastors that listen. 
one of the things I find, and I'm I'm with you. Um, I'm not. I don't like to be hard on pastors because I actually have a lot of empathy for them. I they, do too. They face things nobody people no people realize, and you're working on budgets and you're working on all this is in your head. It is like yeah. when you see them, they're there. And um, what I've seen too a lot is the pastors will never let you know how hurt they really are when they, right. somebody leaves or somebody betrays you because they've got to be the leader. They've got to be the strong one. They can't go up there and cry. They can't go up there and weep. They, they can't let people into their pain because they're leading and they feel like that's what they have to do. But what I've seen so many times is when pastors have been hurt, they're afraid to actually disciple yeah. because I don't want anybody to leave. I yeah. want everybody here. I want everybody to stay. Um, I've been hurt. I've been hurt. Whenever we got, whenever I got back here about a year and a half, two years ago, um, there was a, a very influential family in a lot of areas who um, I felt like they were with me. Mm-hmm. And then they just up and left one Sunday. And I don't let people know how bad that hurt. I don't let people really always transparency about that. But my heart then gravitated to, well, how can I protect it from another family to leave? Right. How can I do mm. this? And I had to make this decision internally. And this is probably the first time I've ever talked openly about this. Wow. Am I going to be after people in the pews or am I going to be after the move of God? Because you always don't get both. That's correct. I, uh, I, I'm actually looking for a scripture. I can quote it to you, uh, just easy if I don't, I don't find the particular address. Uh, but the Apostle Paul made a, a very powerful statement when he talked about the Lord had delivered him from the Jews mm-hmm. and then delivered him from the Gentiles in whom he was now going to send him yes, to. Sir. And and I know that that was, that was probably referring to persecution and some of the things, but I think there's something much deeper there. When I began to study that scripture out, I realized that Paul had to be delivered from the people that God was sending him to. We can't really minister so to people till we get delivered from people. <laughs> and 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 our ministry is to people, but we can never give them the things that are right if we're not delivered from them because what they need is not always what we think is best for them in Come the on. natural. Because sometimes, you know, the Bible said God chastens those in whom he loves. And a lot of times we don't want to do that because when when chastening begins, people get offended. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, uh, you know, they get hurt at us. They're going to leave us, and 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 so we'll do everything we can to keep from uh, from hurting their feelings or to avoid confrontation when sometimes confrontation is necessary. And and in all honesty, uh, uh, I don't. My ministry was never as impactful as as I believe God had really wanted it to be even though it was larger you know (laughs) with 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 resources and people and numbers and finances and all of those kind of things but it was never as influential tool i got delivered from people and I could never really help people until I got delivered from them. And I know that's a powerful statement that needs a lot more conversation about. But uh, be delivered from doesn't mean that I don't care about it. It means I care about them more. Uh, but but I'm delivered to them so I can give them what God tells me to give them without fear of them walking out on me, without fear of retaliation from them. Because I preach hard, and I realize I do. But I think it's necessary for the day and the hour that we're living in because there has to be transformation. 
condemnation. And the harshness is not condemnation. The harshness is the revealing what's wrong and then presenting what is right, uh, presenting this this antichrist system that's in place that has become ineffective in changing our culture and our world and then truly presenting what what Christ is and what real ministry is. You know, um, Jesus is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Uh, he's a life changer. He's a deliverer. You know, you don't get saved and just get off drugs. When you really get born again and you start growing, it changes the kind of father you are. It changes right. the kind of mother you are. So it changes how you show up for work. Mm. It, it, it changes how you spend your money. What are your priorities? It changes every dynamic of who we are. And if we're not progressing into the image of Jesus every day, then we're not maturing as Christians. Um, if God ain't changing every dynamic of our life, you know, every day progressively, then we're not we're not we're not on fire. We're not we're not being what a real Christian is supposed yeah. to be. And, and it's not that I'm living up to the standard. It's by being intimate with God, by, by going after him. He's changing me from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. So didn't didn't mean to dominate no, that. No, no, you're just, good. You know, you, you can't really preach truth and challenge people to come up to that next level if you're worried about they're going to walk away. They're going to leave me. And I'm not going to tell you when people leave me today that it that it doesn't hurt. I still feel it. It just don't control me anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to be honest with you, I, I'm never offended anymore because if, you, if you're delivered from people, you don't have to be offended at them. You mm-hmm. know, you don't walk around battling with unforgiveness because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't struggle with things like I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, and, and I believe it's because God gave me the grace to be delivered from uh, from people. And, and part of that comes through our personal trust in him versus trusting people. Mm-hmm. People are not our source. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people yep. are not our supply anymore. You know, when God really becomes your supplier and God really becomes your resource, you really develop what the Bible calls biblical faith. All of a sudden, my dependence is not on the people. And uh, so, therefore, I don't see them as merchandise. Uh, They're not my supply. They're not my payroll. You know, they're not my salary. They're not. They're not. They're not the key to to my vision becoming a reality. Uh, God is the only the only source of all of those things. So, some of it, I believe, to get to that place comes through real trust in in God and what He promises, and 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 just knowing the character of His faithfulness. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think it's I think it comes back to really fathering yeah. as well because um I heard a preacher say this the other day um fathers never try to replicate fathers try to produce. Yes. And um when we have teachers and people who want to make people like them that's right. That's the codependency. That's the religious system. That's that cycle of um, no growth, no transformation, no maturity. We stay in childish things because everybody's childish. We're we're inconsistent. We're burning on Monday and completely out of the game on Thursday um, because we have no foundation. Yeah. But I go to Romans chapter 8, the golden chain of redemption. Yes. Sir. Those who he foreknew, he predestined. And what did he predestine us to? To be conformed in the image of the Son. So that eventually we may end up being glorified because we are to be conformed. And as fathers... We are never in pastors and leaders. You're you're not called to make people like you. That's you're right. called people to lead them into conforming yeah. into Him, yeah. 
And I believe that's what fathering is, is I'm trying to get you to look like him. That's right. If I'm trying to be a teacher and that's it, like Paul said, I'm just trying to get you to look like me and do what I do. But I don't need you to do what I do. I need you to do be like him and do what he's called you to do. Yes. I just got to give you the tools to get that done. You know, I was in a, a room full of pastors last week uh, who are leading, you know, the West Kentucky revival. And and, and, and in that conversation that we were having even before the meeting and during the meeting is that we know all of the principles of the fivefold ministry. We we can preach it. We can teach it. You know, we it's been articulated in every way possible, but we're doing a really terrible job in letting it operate. And, and I think because of the fact you know, my calling and gifting may be completely different than your calling and yeah. gifting. The, you know, I, I Jeremiah Johnson uh, articulates that better than anybody I've ever heard. You know, you got a pastor who is more of a, you know, he's more of an encourager, a coddler. You know, he's more of a comforter. Uh, he's going to be the guy that's this operating out of compassion and longevity as far as, you know, showing mercy and patience. And then you get a prophet that comes in or an apostle that comes in and you know they're like let's let's get it done they're down to the point they're builders you know they're they they give direction they're they're not going to have the temperance and the patience and and the problem is we want everybody in the fivefold ministry to operate under under our methods or our 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 leadings our convictions and and in all honesty, a, a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist, they're going to operate differently. Mm-hmm. And and then we get frustrated with each other because that person's operating in their gifting and it don't look like ours. And, and therefore, we just walk away from relationships. Right. And, and I think God's just done with that. He He's trying to get us to honor each other's gifts because the body needs so all good. of that. And and that's what's so important. That, uh, uh, that that we let each other. I, my job is to, to, to help you grow into the part of the body that God created you to be and to encourage that and to build that instead of trying to make you be like, oh, you don't, may not have the call I have and the giftings I have, yeah. but it takes all of us making room for each other. That's because we've let God heal our insecurities. We've learned to trust in him. We've not taken possession over what belongs to him. Uh-huh. Uh, it's his inheritance, not ours, the, the church. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's the heritage of the Lord. And, um, and, and we're just stewards in this process and we all need each other in leadership. Cause I honestly believe if the, if the, if the leaders can come together and make room for each other, then I believe the church will unify come on. because so goes the leadership. So goes the rest mm-hmm. of the, 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 yeah. the, the people. And, and so if we can get the, the leaders operating together and making room for each other's gifts and I don't feel like well if you didn't do things the way I'd done them then I can't walk with you anymore no I, my job is not to make you be like me my job is for you to be like Jesus and me come along and and let whatever however my gift functions encourage and so build good. what you're doing and yeah. and preferring each other above our own selves yeah. and it's a full cycle to go back to what we originally started this whole conversation with when you went on the fivefold is that you were talking about we're very um, we're very detailed with the per se the um, principle of the fivefold yes. and the titles but not the function that's right and I say all the time if you can't pastor without being the title of a pastor you're really not a pastor that's correct you're hungry for a title 
And um, because I was pastoring way before I ever had a Pastor Aaron on my name. You know, it was because it was in me. It was my gifting. But then we've also got to take it out of the context of if we're just after a title, we'll never try to get anybody activated. There you go. It's about the function. And then we start to realize it's not just about the 5 and the four, Ephesians 4.11. Now we're going to talk about Romans when it starts to talk about hospitality and administration and all these other gifts that are operating in the church that we don't treat with the utmost honor and respect because it don't have the title of apostle. That's right. And this is where we've got to quit making such a hierarchy in the church because really Jesus set the standard for leadership. If you're a father, if you're apostolic, if you're pro, you're not you're not being served. You're serving. Serving. That's and right. Jesus set the standard, but we've changed this whole game because of religion and that system that has been built. And really, it's nothing more than a Babylonian antichrist system that has been established itself in the earth. And we've got to start start tearing it down. Absolutely. And uh, if we'll tear it down, we'll see revival. I, I believe it. I believe it with every uh, every fiber of who I am. Uh, you know, Paul Paul Johnson taught last night at the West Kentucky Revival. And Pastor Howard was telling me this morning, and he said we're at a we're at a pivotal point. He said we we have a Goliath right now in front mm-hmm. of us, and and Goliath is the religious system. That's so good. Of course, what I what most people call the religious uh, the religious Religious, their spirit of religion or a religious spirit is really a spirit of antichrist. Yes, I am convinced of that completely, and I, we don't have time in this hour to go into all the depth of that. But it's really an antichrist spirit, and because it's anti who Christ really is, uh, and so ultimately, um, uh, he said uh, that that here's what here's how he worded. It. He said the day the David to to destroy the Goliath is the unified body that has to emerge together to be able to destroy the this this spirit of religion which you and I are talking about today, the spirit of Antichrist. Yeah. And it and if and if leaders don't come together and unify the body of Christ, we're we're going to be fighting this thing for forever because the David to destroy the Goliath is the unified body. And I am thoroughly convinced of that. Yes, sir. And and that's why I believe that in this revival that we're seeing across our nation right now, and it's and it is happening. It is a real genuine move of God. It's happening in a lot of different camps as some yes, people call them. But there's some genuine move of God. Grassroots in rural America is happening across our nation. And, and and it's bringing unity to leadership, and it's bringing people that are trusting one another, working together, and and you know we just got encouraged local pastors, we got encouraged local evangelists to work together, to to serve together, that we can we mm-hmm. can come unified and kill and destroy this spirit, this spirit of antichrist. You know, uh, we we listen. It's made the church impotent for too long. It's time now that we make that spirit impotent in the nation. Yeah. And, you know, we, um, I think what we've done for so long is we've, we forgot the enemy is very systematic with what he does. Yes. He's got a game plan. If you go back, I, I use this analogy a lot. You know, um, there was a lady in the, and I know people get tired of me hearing, but this, I think it's just always important to bring it up. Alice Bailey. Have you ever heard of Alice Bailey? I'm if you sure. never looked at Alice Bailey, she was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and mm-hmm. she was visited by the spirit of Tibetan, which is basically translated spirit of light, mm-hmm. defied itself. And um, it, he gave, the spirit gave Alice Bailey what is called the 10-point plan to destroy the Judeo-Christian values of America. And so she wrote this 10-point plan back in the early 1900s, and it was all about how the enemy want to wipe, wants to wipe out the family yeah. and the Christian family that's supposed to be here, systematic. 
And so if we look at Baal, if we look at Leviathan, if we look at Jezebel, all of these are spiritual things that are attacking the earth, but they're all under the system of the Antichrist. And we have to learn how to tear down that system. And that will involve tearing down Asherpos, but that will involve tearing down statues of um, Baal. It, is, it involves Dagon falling in the temple, all of these things. But those are the consequence or the byproduct of the big system. And there's a bigger system on play. Yes. And what we've done is try to treat the symptom and never take out the root. Yes. And yes. now we're starting to understand there's a bigger system that we're fighting. Yes. Yes. I, I agree 100%. Uh, I, I've been, as a matter of fact, I'm in the process of doing some writing. I'm, I'm about to finish up a book, and then my next one is going to be dealing with the spirit of Antichrist. And uh, there's just things that the Lord has shown me about that, and it's things that leaders have got to rise up and deal with yeah. this specifically, uh, and, and and it's got to be addressed. You know, I, I taught last night, and um, uh, some of the characteristics of, uh, of of Hezekiah and and the things that God used him to do, um, because when he when he took office as a king, the Bible said he went in and tore down all the idols. Uh, he went and started pulling them down and destroying uh, the Asherah poles, and and you know he even actually destroyed uh, uh, Moses's bronze uh, serpent that was made in the wilderness, and he tore that down because the people had begun to worship that mm-hmm. instead of worshiping God. They made that symbol and they started worshiping a method. And, you know, so we do the same thing. We, we put the method above God and, and, and he come in and destroyed those things. But, mm. but there were characteristics about him that has to be in the body of Christ today. Yeah. Uh, the, the Bible said he walked pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So his accountability came to God, not to a system, not to man, but his accountability was to God. And, and the Bible says that he did that as his ancestor, David did because David was accountable to God and and I actually that's very important in the fact that it uses in that same because when David failed and committed sin uh, when he repented in Psalms and it gives the prayer that he prayed he did not when he did that, he actually said, you know, uh, against against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. If yep. you, you remember his cry of repentance, mm-hmm. he didn't talk about the damage he had done to the people. He talked about what he had done to God because his first place of accountability was to God. And then you see Saul, even Saul admitted he had sinned when he didn't destroy the king and all of the spoils of the battle when God stripped the kingdom away from him. But he said to Samuel, he said, go back and honor me in front of the elders. Mm-hmm. And he said, honor me in front of the people of Israel so that I can offer sacrifices right. to God. So his priority in, in saying I have sinned was not that I have hurt God, but that it's affected how people perceive me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, his how people perceived him affected his worship. So his priorities, he was operating out of that old system, so to speak. But, but, but my point being the characteristics in his life. I believe it's what enabled him to be able to tear down those systems. The Bible said he clave to the Lord. Yes, you know, he wasn't a he wasn't a weekend warrior. He was he he clave to the Lord. He was in pursuit of God. That means that he stuck to God like glue. Mm. And the Bible said that he never turned back from following the Lord. So he wasn't inconsistent mm. in his devotion, in his pursuit of God. You know, and, and there's gotta be a generation right now that's going after God that says you know what, God, I'm coming for you. I'm 
going to cling to you. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let nobody hurt my feelings. I'm not going to pull away from my assignment because the actions and behaviors of people or the system or the devil or anything else. I'm coming for you, Lord. I'm going to yeah. be accountable to you Come and on. you alone. Uh, I, I'm and from the stamp, not that I'm not accountable to people, but, but God is going to be First. the one that I understand sees everything I do. I can hide stuff from religion. I can hide it from the church. I can be one thing on a Sunday morning and, and not on Monday morning. But if God is the one in whom I'm accountable to, then everything I do in the privacy of my home is seen before God, how I treat the waitress or how I, how I treat a, a cashier or how I treat my fellow brothers and sisters behind the scenes. All of that stuff then becomes, you know, uh, God, I'm transparent. I'm walking, I'm walking, um, uh, in honesty in his sight like Hezekiah did. And I think it's going to take that kind of generation that's clinging to God to be able to devour and to pull down the strongholds that are in our nation to deal with the spirit of Antichrist. Um, And that's what God's raising up, people that are not just mundane, systematic, go through the ritualistic routines of institutionalized Christianity, but they are going after God with everything that is within them. They're re- they're reestablishing their priorities to make room for God. They're living in the secret place of God. They're learning how to stay there without somebody having to make them. We're not going there solely out of crisis, but we're going there because we need to spend time with the faith uh, in the face of the Father. Yeah. And 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 that's the kind of people that I believe are going to destroy this 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 antichrist spirit and and conquer it in our land, so that the that as you said the Asherah poles can come down and all of those things begin to to begin to change you know um if i can take this for a second like saul and david wasn't the first analogy we had of this of trying to cover it yes because if you go back to the garden and you go back whenever adam and eve sinned and god come looking for adam and he said adam where are you adam already hid himself behind the fig leaves because he didn't want anybody to really see who he was and if we're ever going to see a generation see revival, it's because a generation became vulnerable and yes. said, I'm going to let down the guard. I don't, I'm going to let you see who I really am because unless you see who I really am, you can't fix it. That's right. And we try to hide behind the fig leaves for way too long. Mm. And we've tried to keep covering ourselves with religion. We keep trying to cover ourselves with our works. But in reality, the thing that Jesus did, I love the story because Jesus walks past a fig tree and he cursed it. And a couple of days they come back and it's dead. What's that testified? He's done with the system. He yeah. said, you don't have to hide behind the fig leaves. No more i made a way that's better than any fig leaf and we just got to learn to be vulnerable for each other and vulnerable before god because that's what david was david yes, wasn't was. Par- perfect but david let himself be real before god yes he and did. he didn't care and i guess it goes back to he was delivered from the people his mm-hmm. his he he wasn't he wasn't trying to please the people wow because whenever he got home from dancing before the ark and his ephod, his wife said, well, didn't you look dignified today? If you ain't seen nothing yet, honey, <laughs> you think that was something? You ain't seen nothing yet. Why? Because he understood the fig trees had no power. That's right. It was in Jesus and Jesus alone. It was who he saw, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I shared, and I won't share it on the radio today, but I had a, a very vivid biblical or a spiritual dream a few days ago, but it was about transparency. Yeah. Uh, it was about our, and please, it's not a, a vow, it's about nakedness, to being sure. transparent and exposed, yeah. not being afraid to be vulnerable and, and to not be ashamed of that because that's what, 
that's what we as leaders yeah. we we have got to become vulnerable again we we've got to uh we've got to we got to be transparent again yes, so that we can just be real about about where we are and what god is changing and what god's doing because i need that Come I on. need that from other leaders. I need people to be real. Don't tell me just about all the good things. Tell let's talk about the realness of how we're we're coming through it. it. Let's on. talk about being exposed. Let's talk about just being the 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 real us. Um, and because we can't expect a congregation to be real if we're not going to be real. Yeah. If we can't be transparent and vulnerable, we sure can't expect them to be transparent and vulnerable. Yeah. And I think it's important for men and leaders to hear that specifically yes. because we're told to be strong. Yeah, but there is strength in vulnerability. Yes, vulnerability doesn't make you weak; it actually prepares you to be strong, because now you're exposing the things internally that need to be fixed. And so long, we—I mean, we just sit there and we—we we have tried to be so strong for yes. every single person, but yet, really, what we was doing—we was wearing a mask. Absolutely. I mean, the hypocrisy is what's killing us. Yes, and um, and if we never allowed the spirit of God to dig in the caverns of our heart. How can anything get fixed? Amen. Amen. So true. So maybe, true. Like, last few minutes, you may, be able, you may be able to explain maybe about the Crusades and how, mm -hmm. we, how you do those things. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm super, super excited about the crusade coming mm -hmm. up here. Uh, I'm, it's, I'm excited because there's unity coming in the body of Christ to do this together because I think that's the key of what's going to make sure. this thing so mm -hmm. profoundly powerful. That, and I think every church will be edified. And in my heart, I'm a soul winner. I, I have a lot of other ministry just besides that that God is doing, but I, I love to win souls. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to walk in uh, multiple offices, but I'll be honest with you, uh, there's nothing I like more than reaching the the hurting and the broken and seeing mm -hmm. God transform a life from somebody coming from a lifestyle of bondages and afflictions to, to just becoming healed and whole and free of the things that have held them captive for so long. So I'm super excited about the crusade. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is we'll we'll send intercessors up um, prior to that'll actually just come and begin to pray over this entire region. They'll drive and pray. They'll walk and pray. They'll go into the to the nearby towns and and they'll minister to people and share uh, share you know some of the uh, the postcards and stuff and invite people to come and uh, and they'll intercede and then of course you know we'll we'll bring as much of our team that is necessary that the other churches you know feel like hey we could use help in this area um and and we're just gonna we're just gonna present the life-changing power of the gospel of jesus christ uh to see captives set free people with broken hearts healed to see those that are oppressed delivered and mm -hmm. set free uh that's gonna happen i mean i believe the addicts people they're struggling with drug addictions for 30 years of my ministry i've seen so many people get healed and delivered i have watched those that 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 had had lost their children and the results of drug addiction, uh, you know, that said they would never actually give their parental rights back to them. I've seen those parents get their kids back and mm -hmm. because of the life-changing power of what God does. Yeah. And and so I just believe there's going to be a lot of testimonies and miracles that are going to come as a result of the crusade just coming up. And I would just encourage anybody that's listening that if they just do whatever you got to do to get your family there, get your friends there, tell people it's coming coming and uh, begin to promote it now don't wait till september don't wait till august yes, start promoting it right now um we're doing these things all over um 
all over Kentucky, uh, even into Georgia. Um, I've got we just had one recently at our at our in our region where uh, where I pastor, and we're in a town of a hundred and nine people. We had thirty nine people uh, saved and wow. and and uh, yeah, wow. and changed in that time. And you know we invited other other pastors and leaders you know to engage with us. Um, and you know some don't want to do that. You know they they don't want to they don't want to come participate. Well, it's not in my church. I'm not going to have anything to do with. It. But they missed out because what we do is we promote all the churches represented there, and we tell them plug into one of these churches. Yes, we we try to get the altar workers from from all of the churches to be the ones who actually you know pray with the people, and then we then we encourage each church to actually follow up with those people that you pray for and talk to them and, and help them get planted, follow, follow up with them, get them connected into one of the churches, uh, the local churches, and help them start beginning, you know, to receive discipleship. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a unified effort of the body of Christ and the leaders. And I think,